0: Thriving Future with me, Hannah Temple. Those of you who've been around since the beginning of this podcast will know that part of the reason for starting it was that I kept being asked questions from people wanting to know what being a regenerative organization really meant, what on earth this really looked like when it was showing up in the world. So, as well as launching a podcast, to try and answer these questions, I also worked to develop a framework. I wanted to bring together all of the different wisdom and information I had been coming across and researching fields like biomimicry, permaculture, ecology, regenerative leadership, just transition, human rights, systems practice, donor economics and much more. I wanted to bring all of that together into one place alongside the experience that I've had of spending time in nature and of working alongside organizations who are committed to putting life at the center of their work. I wanted to bring all this together into a structure, a set of characteristics that can help organizations to start to grapple with the holistic nature of what it means to be regenerative, to start to imagine what it could mean for them to be more supportive of the greater thriving of life, and to help individuals to identify areas where they could start to experiment with new, more regenerative practice. The framework looks at different aspects of organizational activity and operation and offers insights regarding how those aspects could be more regenerative. The framework takes the form of a tree with each of the five different areas of the tree's anatomy, from soil to trunk to fruits, representing different elements of organizational activity and characteristics. In episode four, we dove into the soil, which represents the organization's grounding, including elements like its origin story, its fundamental legal and financial structures, its key identifying and commitment statements like its vision or mission statements or its articles of association. And we looked at each of those different aspects of organizational practice and identified some of the key things that can make these aspects of an organisation more regenerative. So, for example, a commitment to meaningfully remedying any harms that took place in an organization's history, or ensuring that all financial and legal arrangements are based on shared regenerative values. In this episode, we're gonna be turning to the second area of the framework, the root system. This represents an organization's network, that web of relationships that make it up because ultimately that's what an organization is. It's a web of connections. So this web will include all different kinds of relationships. So between employees within an organization, between staff and suppliers and customers, between staff and donors, shareholders and the surrounding community. Um, Also, it includes the relationships the organization has with the more than human communities that it's connected with, the ecosystems in which it is embedded and upon which it depends. Now, some of you might be wondering, what does this idea of an organizational network have to do with the idea of being regenerative? What's the connection between how an organization's network is structured and the relationships within that network, what's that got to do with this idea of an organization contributing to the greater thriving of life? Well, lots is the short answer. Um, But there are a few different layers to the longer answer. So firstly, you could say that there's a really strong relationship between kind of the nature of an organization's network and the idea of the thriving of life in a very direct way. So there are when for the individuals and ecosystems that are within uh, an organization's network, there are obviously real differences between relationships that can support their individual thriving and those that don't. We've all been in relationships that have been more or less supportive of our own thriving. So, there's an element to this conversation that's about, okay, well, are the relationships that an organization have really supportive of the thriving of the individuals within that network? But there's also uh, a layer to this question that's about, okay, well, what are the implications of that for the kind of wider world, for broader patterns of thriving? So, we'll be drawing some connections between when the relationships within a network are stronger. Are deeper, are more thriving, then that has ripple effects into the broader world. Because, for example, when we have deeper relationships with, let's say, our suppliers, then the level and quality of information that we are gathering, we are able to gather from that supply chain. And equally, the degree of ability we have to influence maybe the practices that are going on in our supply chains can have really big implications for the social and environmental impacts of our organizational practice on the wider world, which clearly impacts our broader thriving as a society, as a planet. And there is also a connection that we can make between the quality, the nature of an organization's network and broader thriving of life. Because if we make the assumption that the organization in question here has a regenerative vision in line with the the soil conversation that we had last time, That perhaps the objective, the main purpose of the vision is to support the greater thriving of life in some way by offering a particular service, by um, supporting a particular community. Then there are aspects to this network and it's the way it functions, its richness, uh, who's in it, how it works that are kind of quite basic um, criteria to support general organizational thriving. So if that is in place, if we can maximize and optimize the ability of a network to really support the organization, then its ability to achieve its regenerative vision in the world is enhanced. So there are a few different ways in which this idea of having a really strong regenerative network is crucial for us to be an organization that is supporting the greater thriving of life out in the world. Okay, so what does a more regenerative organisational root network look like? For me, there are broadly four key characteristics of such a network. The first thing is that the organisation will have a lot of connections. So it will be really well connected to its ecosystemic context, really well connected to the community that it is embedded within, really well connected to its supply chain, including its deeper supply chain. Secondly the elements within that network will be really diverse so there will not be an over a reliance on one particular group or one particular type of connection one particular type of perspective but instead the organization's network will contain within it a really genuinely diverse range of experience and perspective. Thirdly the relationships between the elements in an organization's network will be deep and long term. So rather than having very surface level transactional relationships, the relationships within a regenerative organizational network are much stronger, deeper, and longer term. Fourthly, that the relationships within a regenerative organizational network are reciprocal, that there is an element of balance, of give and take to the relationships within that network. The first crucial thing to say is that of those four elements, the latter two, strong, deep and long-term relationships and relationships that are characterized by a degree of reciprocity and balance, are by far the most important of the four. There is no point having a really, really diverse network if you don't have really good, strong, deep relationships between those elements. And there's no point having lots and lots and lots of connections within a network if there's no real balance or reciprocity to those relationships. In those circumstances, we're not really getting to regenerative. So we're going to start with these latter two elements, strong relationships and relationships characterized by reciprocity. (laughs) let's turn to strong and deep relationships first. What am I talking about when I say strong and deep? Well, I'm talking about relationships that go beyond the immediate basis of the relationship. So yes, you might be colleagues or the relationship on paper might be as contractual partners or suppliers and customers. But in reality, the relationship goes much beyond this the individuals involved know each other more fully than those strict narrow terms they're more aware of the complexity of each other's lives and contexts the relationships are characterized by greater levels of trust and safety there's more opportunity in those relationships for people to be vulnerable and honest even about things that might be difficult to share typically relationships that feel deep and strong and long term to me involve a greater level of commitment from both sides, which allow the relationship to exist over a longer time period. So we're talking years rather than months, for example. These relationships are the opposite of relationships that are purely transactional. So how does this idea relate to the idea of being more regenerative? So we're gonna explore that by looking at two examples of different types of relationships between organizations and suppliers that I've witnessed in my work. One of them was a very short term and kind of surface level example, and the other was deeper. So in the first example, I was working with uh, an international retailer. Um, They had a huge number of suppliers, But their relationships with those suppliers were, I would say, very short term and very surface level. They typically offered suppliers contracts of a few months um, that were then regularly reviewed and potentially revoked if a more competitive offer came along. The relationships between the customer and the supplier were extremely transactional and impersonal. A lot of the interactions that a supplier would have with that customer would be automated, so there actually wouldn't be any human being involved at all. And when they did speak to the procurement teams of the customer in question, They were very, very uh, rigid, narrow conversations. There was no expansiveness, no space to to know one another. And it would often be the case that those individuals would never physically meet. And finally, it was very, very typical for that customer to not know any of the suppliers beyond their first tier, as they called it. So, Typically, their first tier would be suppliers who kind of aggregated goods for them to purchase from. Those suppliers were not those individuals involved in manufacturing goods, extracting raw materials, transporting, packaging and so on. So the customer had a very, very surface level view of their whole supply chain and the relationships that they had with those suppliers that they were engaged with were pretty transactional and surface level. Now, I certainly witnessed a lot of negative consequences in terms of thriving as a result of these relationships. So from the supplier's perspective, in my work, we engage with those suppliers and were able to understand that from their perspective, these relationships were really stressful. Um, There was no space to share any vulnerabilities or any challenges or weaknesses because they were in a position of really high stress, aware that their contract could be revoked at any time if they put, kind of put a, step, a foot out of line. There was no confidence, no security. So they were often operating in situations of very limited financial security, uh, lots of financial stress. And often what we witnessed is that that stress and perception of fragility and insecurity was often passed on, not only to the employees at that supplier, but that that would also translate and ripple down deeper into the supply chain. And from the customer's perspective, the relationship was also stressful because they also had no trust in the supplier because they didn't have any real visibility or awareness of the context that they are operating in. Um, They didn't know them very well uh, as individuals, maybe having never met them or maybe having only worked with them for a few months. And the conversations that they did have with those suppliers were often quite secretive, quite combative, with very clear, uh, harsh objectives to get out of those uh, those conversations. So from both sides of that relationship, it was in itself a very non-generative, stressful, unpleasant experience. And that is kind of a, a contribution in itself, because as we know from a growing body of research, the actual the quality of our relationships is one of the key factors in our well-being, our health, our happiness. So the fact that those relationships between the customer and the supplier were fraught, aggressive, stressful, has a really significant impact on the individuals involved and their particular thriving. The second big area of consequence in terms of the greater thriving of life was around the ability of the customer and the supplier to really protect broader societal thriving. So from the supplier's perspective, because there was no commitment, there was no trust, no space for vulnerability, no longer term security, they had no incentive to be honest with their customer about the challenges and conditions in their own operations or in the deeper supply chain. And also no incentive to invest in improvements that might require kind of financial commitment. So, for example, if there was a challenge in the deeper supply chain that said, "Okay, well, there's a process that we rely on deeper down in our supply chain that's really carbon intensive. It's releasing loads of greenhouse gases. And we know that our customers really want to try and limit their carbon footprints, but we really can't see a solution to this. There was absolutely no incentive for them to share that with their customer because their experience would be that the customer would just disengage, would just leave on hearing this news. Or it might be that they had real struggles with working hours. OK, when we are um, receiving these orders from you, our customer, what that means is, is that we end up having to work really ridiculously long hours in those particular weeks. And our workers have to work really long hours in order to meet that deadline that you've set us. But there's no incentive for them to be honest about that, because again, they are afraid that the customer will just disengage, will just say, OK, well, we can't have those, those standards in our supply chain, so, so we're out. And secondly, there's no incentive for the supplier to invest in improvements because they don't have the financial security. So if they wanted to invest in better wages, better conditions for their workers, a more energy efficient machine, a cleaner process and so on, they have no incentive to do that because they don't have the security of income that they need to maybe make those investments. So overall, society and environment really loses out from this lack of trust, vulnerability, security in the relationship. Now, this situation was the exact opposite of a situation that I witnessed and worked with, with another large international organization, this time a manufacturer. But in this case, they had made a commitment to work with their suppliers over a longer term time period and had contracts with suppliers of multiple years rather than months. They also had a program of investing with their key suppliers in programs to improve standards, spending time, money, sharing skills to really support suppliers to make improvements to their working practices that would have ripple effects for the broader environment and society around them. They also had very different types of relationships practically with their suppliers. So they had very regular communications, visiting each other regularly, lots of regular physical face-to-face contact with each other. And what that resulted in is not only were there improvements socially and environmentally, so working conditions for the workers at those suppliers at the deeper supply chain improved, there were reductions in pollutants, there was improvements in waste levels, there were real kind of tangible impacts in terms of broader societal and planetary thriving. But the relationships between the individuals were also much easier, much more flexible, much less stressful. And that had broader impacts for the organization as well. They had additional benefits. So I remember a situation where um, the customer had to change its order at a, at a short term time frame because they had these relationships, these closer relationships with their suppliers, it meant that rather than having to go through a long, arduous, automated process of getting that change signed off, they could just pick up the phone, speak to their supplier, figure out ways in which they could meet that demand without compromising the working hours and conditions within that supplier. So it meant that there were, there were lots and lots of different benefits to that that deeper relationship. And it's really not difficult to see the same or similar situation playing out in other situations, other relationships. So we can think about relationships between employers and employees and the impact of perhaps zero hours contracts versus more permanent committed relationships. We can think about short-term grants between funders and grantees and the impacts that that has. We can think about organizations that jump in and out of global communities without really committing to the particular places or people that it engages with. From these examples, we can really see that when we engage in deeper relationships within our organizational networks, these relationships are not only more generative in and of themselves, but they create the freedom and the possibility for organisations to make more regenerative decisions. The next key area of consideration is the degree of reciprocity and balance in the relationships in the organization's network. Now, reciprocity and balance is one of the key principles of how nature operates. Within natural systems, they will always tend to move towards a state of greater balance and harmony. And when we look at how the relationships within ecosystems function, there is a degree of reciprocity that balances out across those relationships, where there is no one particular relationship or group or individual that is overly kind of winning out over the others at the expense of the others. That in the end, the kind of benefits and costs of the individual Species of the individual organisms within a system balance out. And indeed, if we think about our tree metaphor, the roots in the system are in a reciprocal relationship with the rest of the organism. So the roots are providing the nutrients and the water from the soil and passing those up to the rest of the organism in exchange for the sugars and energy coming from the photosynthesis above. And indeed, we're learning more and more about the reciprocal relationships between the tree and the mycorrhizal fungi that exist within and around the root systems and actually the role that they play in doing a lot of the accessing of the nutrients in the soil. So this reciprocity is a key principle of natural systems and it's also a key principle of what it means to have a really regenerative root network as an organization. For a system and those within it to thrive, the relationships within it must be balanced and reciprocal with all parties benefiting from the health of the whole. Now let's look at a few examples of how this might show up within an organization. So for example it could look like a really fair exchange of labor, of work by an employee in exchange for really good, fair, decent wages that allow that employee to live a a full and healthy life. It could show up in prices for goods and services that really truly reflect the social and environmental inputs that have gone into those goods and services. It could show up in harvesting methods that return as much goodness to the land and the ecosystems that they take out. It could look like tax arrangements between organisations and communities that reflect the Gift that the organization is receiving of the infrastructure that it is relying on and using, the skills and experiences of the communities that it is working with, built by educational systems, for example. Now, it's crucial to point out that the exchanges that we're talking about here don't have to be financial exchanges. Clearly, there are lots and lots of other options of ways in which we might express reciprocity and balance. So it might be that an organisation chooses to balance out the gifts that it has received from the local community by offering a gift of celebration, of joy, in the way that La Junquera, we heard that they offered a gift of a festival for its local community to say thank you. It could be an exchange of trust, an exchange of information in the way that Elvis and Cressy have offered their funders uh, an opportunity to have true visibility into their accounting and their books in exchange for supporting them financially. It can be through exchanges of power or of time. The exact items that are exchanged within relationships is not the crucial thing the crucial thing is that there is an effort to seek balanced relationships, that there is an understanding that the gifts that we are receiving need to be met with a reciprocal gift given. And that for any of us to truly thrive within a system, all of the parts of that system must benefit from it. So as we touched on at the start of the episode, When considering how regenerative an organization's root network is, the two most critical considerations are the ones that we've covered so far. Firstly, how deep and strong and long term are the relationships within that network? And secondly, how reciprocal and balanced are they? These are the two most critical considerations. But, In an ideal world, a really truly regenerative root network would go beyond that. Not only would there be deep, long-term, strong relationships that are balanced and reciprocal, but there would be many of those relationships, and they would be with a real, true diversity of actors. Now, we all know that if a tree has just a few roots, or if they all went in the same direction, or about the same length, then that would limit the tree's ability to really tap into the nutrients and moisture from all of the different possible sources around it. Clearly, when a tree has a large number of diverse roots moving in different directions, tapping into different environments, then this gives the plant access to a greater richness of materials, which in turn makes it stronger and more resilient. Time and again, ecosystems demonstrate that systems with a greater number and diversity of individuals leads to much greater resilience, adaptability, and productivity. And the same is true for organizations. There is a huge and growing body of evidence and research connecting greater diversity in terms of experience, in terms of life experience, in terms of worldview within an organization, to a huge ream of internal benefits, including better decision making, greater creativity, better financial returns. Essentially, and this is a huge simplification, but essentially the more diverse, the more diversity of perspective involved in organizational decisions and processes the less likely it is that something important is missed. Equally, having really diverse sets of customers, funders, suppliers, etc. makes the organization much less susceptible to serious disruptions. So having a lot of connections and a real genuine diversity of connections is really good for the organization itself on its own terms. And that's good for the broader world because then it's much more likely to achieve its regenerative vision. It's really good for the people within that organization and for all of those people who are relying on the organization's products or services. It's also really good for the broader world because organizations that are internally diverse and well-connected to their communities and customers are much better able to develop products and services that are suitable for multiple groups' needs, much less likely to reinforce inequalities or prejudices that may exist in society at large. Organizations that are well connected to the ecosystems in which they are embedded and on which they rely are much better able to work with those ecosystems in a harmonious way and to steward them well for future generations. Finally, what you can sometimes see with some of the most regenerative organisations where they've really cultivated such a dense and diverse network around them, that they actually end up acting as a kind of hub, a catalyst, a channel through which all sorts of wonderful, meaningful connections are made. So, that the network, the root network around the organization takes on a life of its own and expands outwards from the organization in ways that it could never have planned or orchestrated. Some of the most regenerative organizations that I've had the privilege of working with have ended up playing this kind of a role, being this hub, this center through which whole communities are developed and cultivated. So, in summary, An organization's root system is its network, its web of connections and relationships with its broader community, with its customers, with its supply chain, with the wider world. And who is in that network and the nature of the relationships between them is critical, not only for the thriving of those in the network, but also for the wider world. When it comes to thinking about what makes an organization's root network more regenerative, I've identified four key things. Having many connections, having a true diversity of perspective and experience within that network, having relationships that are strong, deep, and long-term, and having relationships that are reciprocal and balanced. So... If you're listening to this and you're setting up your own organisation with an intention for it to be as regenerative and life-centred as possible, or if you're embedded with an organisation and seeking to try and help that organisation to become more supportive of the thriving of life, then you might want to consider doing some things like building up a picture of the network of your organisation And exploring really how diverse that network is and how that could be increased. You might be doing things like reviewing the arrangements that you have. Maybe their contracts, other structures that shape the arrangements and relationships that the organization has with partners, with suppliers, with grantees, with employees. And seeing how they can be made more expansive, longer term identifying opportunities in your relationships and connections with others where you can make space for deeper connection. These could be simple things like introducing just a few minutes at the beginning of each meeting to give some space for you to connect at a deeper level, to understand more about what's going on for people personally, emotionally, physically, before diving into the the core focus of your meeting. It could be simple things like making sure that you always have video on if you're doing a virtual conversation so people can get more of a flavor of you as a person. You might also want to review the relationships that you have and seeing how balanced and reciprocal they are. How can you experiment with different techniques or methods for introducing greater reciprocity or balance into those relationships? How could you look at how you could share some more information with those who you work with? Experiment with sharing some more power with those you work alongside. How can you investigate ways in which you could pilot, experiment with different ways of working in different parts of your operation to see what it might be like to work in a more reciprocal way? I hope this has been a useful introduction. We have some really fantastic episodes coming up with other pioneering organizational leaders. And then the next one of these solo episodes, we'll be diving into the organization's trunk, which represents the internal environment and the processes within an organization. And we'll be exploring, OK, well, what would it mean for that to be more regenerative? It's a, a whopper of an area. So um, I'm really, really looking forward to diving into that. I hope you found this useful. If you have comments or questions or things that you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please be in touch. But until then...